This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we're talking with Kathy Zmitis, Director of Development, and Katie Ostroff, the Client Services Manager of Needs, the world-class service dog program. They breed, raise, train, and place service dogs with adults and children who are physically disabled, veterans with PTSD, and children with autism. They provide their human partners with increased independence and connection in their daily lives. I'm so happy to have you both on the show this morning. Ladies, welcome. Thanks for having us. Kathy, let's start with you. Tell us about NEEDS and what their mission is. Absolutely. Our mission statement is needs world-class service dogs change lives. And that really does sum up what we can accomplish through our amazing service dogs. We hear time and again from our clients, whether they're in a wheelchair, a veteran, a child with autism, or someone who's hearing impaired, just how much our dogs have impacted their lives. We also have an assistance dog program. So as much as a service dog works with one person only, Our assistance dogs work with one person serving many, be it in a classroom, the courthouse, hospital ministry, or other therapeutic settings. Katie, what's the process of training a service dog? Well, it's a long one, so let's, (laughs) we'll prepare you for that. So um, our dogs come to us, they are Labrador retrievers, yellow and black. Uh, They're people-oriented, they're friendly, they're so eager to work, Um, and ultimately they're trained in 50 to 60 tasks and commands. And uh, they start their journey either at our breeding center or they come to us from another service dog organization. And they are loved and loved and loved uh, until they begin their um, journey of training uh, when they either go, when we are able to, in a non-COVID era, uh, to either go to our uh, prison program, which we operate in six prisons, um, and or they will start their journey with a full-time puppy raiser. So there are a couple of tracks the dogs can go into. Uh, At first, if they go into the prison pup program, there are handlers there who've been carefully chosen and they have lots of time to train and to socialize the dogs. Need staff go in and meet with the handlers weekly uh, and it's just a win for all. 
on the weekend, our wonderful weekend puppy raisers will go to the prison and they will bring the dog out to socialize them in the world so that the dog can go to the grocery store, the dog can go to a playground, the dog just experiences life outside of prison. And then um, when they are between 18 and 24 months, they have been fully trained, fully vetted, and at that point they're matched. For our dogs who may uh, go into our full-time puppy raiser program, uh, the puppy raisers with guidance from needs staff, they are um, cared for full-time in a uh, volunteer's home. They're socialized, they're, uh, they learn some initial obedience. And then when they are about 12 to 14 months old, they will either go into the prison pup program for their final training, or they will come to campus uh, for training with one of our uh, trainers. So that's how they go through their training. Um, our trainers are trained for two years um, until they can formally and fully train uh, clients and dogs on their own. Otherwise, they are under the guidance of our very seasoned senior staff. Does that help? Wow, that's, a, that's a, an unbelievable process. You offer a lot of different types of service dogs. Can you talk a little bit about that and who the clients are? And do the dogs need to be trained differently depending on who they end up getting matched with? Sure. So in essence, um, all of our dogs are trained to be service dogs and learn uh, the uh, obedience that you need to be a service dog. In addition, um, our service dogs are trained in the commands and task work that help persons with disabilities. Uh, for our hearing dogs, they are trained in a different set of skills because they are alerting those clients to sound. So there's some difference in their training, but their essential service dog training remains the same in terms of um, their overall obedience and commands. Um, so we serve uh, children and adults with physical disabilities, veterans with physical disabilities, uh, often folks with um, uh, a spinal cord injury or a, a person who has uh, multiple sclerosis or cerebral palsy, some, some uh, physical disability that's permanent for them. Uh, service dogs for hearings, um, we serve adults, uh, older teens and veterans, uh, and the dog is alerting the client to uh, key environmental sounds, whether it's uh, a siren or it is a door knock or their alarm clock going off. Those are just key uh, skills that the service dog learns so that the person can be alerted to their environment. We work with a service dog. We have a service dog program for children with autism or other developmental delays. And those tasks are designed to, with the parent as the leader, uh, to help mitigate some of those symptoms from building emotional regulation for the child, it builds a child's social skills, uh, it builds a child's communication skills and their fine and gross motor skills. Uh, we do have a program for veterans with PTSD. Um, we serve veterans from all conflicts that are local uh, to needs for reasons related to the follow-up we do. And then as Kathy mentioned, we have our assistance dog program, and those dogs are matched with helping professionals who are working with often our most vulnerable populations. Our assistance dogs have the same training as all of our, our service dogs, uh, but they have shown us that they are very interested in working with children or people who are vulnerable. Uh, so, so the dogs are 
trained in many ways in all the same task work, and then we specialize it as we start to understand where what career the dog is best suited for, um, whether it's for a hearing dog or an mm -hmm. assistance dog or a child. How does somebody apply to have a service dog? Is it, is it a tough process to do that? If somebody, if, if we say, for example, have anyone listening right now that's thinking they may they may need one. Um, how would they go about applying to have a service dog? So we have a, a, a pretty thorough website. I would have to say, as we've um, uh, looked around at other organizations, our website is pretty clear about what our programs have to offer. So people can really understand uh, if our program might be something that would be of service to them. Uh, then there is an application online where people uh, can read through some of our pre-qualifying questions. Again, we really just want to make sure that our dogs are providing the services that people who are interested in our program are applying for. Uh, and then there's an application online that people can complete. It's needs.org, N-E-A-D-S.org for anyone who's listening. And we'll put a link up as well sure. um, for this interview. Uh, is there a specific breed of dog that you train most often? And, and if so, why is that? So I'll start and I bet Kathy's and mine as well uh, complete this. Our dogs are purpose-bred uh, black and yellow, lo yellow Labrador retrievers. That's usually easier to say. So, <laughs> <Don't twist her. laughs> Yes, so that's, that's who our dogs are. Um, Kathy, do you want to add to that? Yeah, sure. I mean, we use Labrador Retrievers for uh, a few different reasons, uh, largely their inherent temperament. Also, they're pretty easy to train. They're, they're fairly food motivated, so um, they're fairly easy to train. So it really comes down to uh, temperament, health, physical, uh, physical ability, and the ability to train them and, and the enthusiasm for the work. And that all rolls into, and I, I know we'll get to this uh, later, Kendra, into our purpose-bred breeding program. And I can flesh that out a little bit more then. Uh, you know, Katie, I guess I'll throw this one back to you. I have two boys with autism. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the service dogs can help those on the spectrum? I mean, do they have to have specific personalities you know i've thought a lot about the need to maybe have animals somehow with my my two boys to calm their anxiety i've thought about the equestrian part of it i've also thought about service dogs so can you talk a little bit about that that program and and how that would work for families maybe with somebody on the spectrum sure so for that program Again, the, the dogs all have the service dog training, but at about a year mark, the dogs start to show us what program they really are best suited for. Oh, and okay. we will know that um, even when the dogs are uh, uh, typically in our prison pup program, because those are the dogs that when there's visiting day, those dogs seem to be naturally gravitating towards children. Um, or when a, a weekend puppy raiser, bring a dog, sorry, out to a playground, that dog seems to gravitate towards children. So we are through our continual assessment of our dogs, are understanding really which career path they are best suited for. And as that becomes clear for a dog, you know, we're looking at their gentleness, their intuitiveness, um, their just love of being with children. Uh, a lot of those dogs tend to want to always have some part of their being resting on their chosen person, whether it's a paw on a leg or just even more uh, contact. So 
that's what we're looking for as we look at the dogs that are appropriate for our children with autism. And um, then they're trained, their training will really specialize on tasks that help a child with emotional regulation. Uh, we have some specific tasks that the dog through graduated amounts of weight can help a child like a weighted blanket helps, right. except that you yeah. can do that in public or you can do that at home. Um, our dogs are a tremendous way to build socialization because as you, as you know kids have trouble articulating their thoughts or making right. eye contact but boy who doesn't want to talk about a dog and right. a child That's can true. learn the script uh, this is my dog this is where he was born yeah. and this is what she does so there's socialization built in there's communication built in and then there's the fine and gross motor skills you know putting on the dog's equipment playing with the dog so all of that is what um, we find can really make a life-changing experience for our children with autism if you're just waking up and tuning in you're listening to exceptional women on magic 106.7 and we've been talking with Kathy Zemitis and Katie Ostroff of needs let's get back to our conversation. Kathy, we've heard a lot about this in the past, about people using fake service animals to travel, to go to restaurants, etc. Is it still a problem? And can you talk a little bit about the legislation that's happening here in Massachusetts to address it? Sure, I'd be happy to. You know, and unfortunately, this is still an issue. When the airlines originally gave pets a name, um, i.e. emotional support animal, and began to allow them in the cabin during flights, I believe it created a vast confusion. And many people believed that they could now take their pets anywhere that the public has access. A couple of things to keep in mind though, the airlines finally did realize that they created a bit of a Pandora's box and have recently rolled back the rules regarding what animals can, what animals can access the cabin as a service animal. So they're now more in line with the ADA that states that a service animal is a dog who is individually trained to perform task work to support and assist a person who's permanently disabled. So chickens will no longer be able to collect those frequent flyer miles. <laughs> While this has been um, a long time coming, many folks now insist that their dogs can go anywhere they go. So why is that a problem? It's a problem um, because many of the pets who gain public access are not trained or comfortable in that setting. And this not only puts tremendous stress on the pet, it can also put the public in danger. If an unsocialized dog feels threatened, they may and often do respond with aggression. And we're all aware of some of the disturbing stories of animals lashing out, be it on an airplane or in a restaurant. And Additionally, these untrained dogs lay the groundwork for mistrust of legitimate service dogs and make access more difficult for those with true disabilities. By nature, service dogs are not reactive, and if they're approached or attacked by a pet, they won't defend themselves, and they're often injured, rendering them unable to continue to do their job, and they have to be retired. So because of all this, Needs is working with Representative Kim Ferguson to bring house stock at 3995 into law. And this is an act relative to the misrepresentation of a service animal. And it seeks to address the issue of people falsely indicating that their pet is a service dog to gain special status. We call it service dog fraud. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that, 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 you know, pets that are not trained as service dogs would react differently if they're, 
they feel threatened. And that's interesting to know that the service dogs wouldn't, that they wouldn't almost protect themselves. That, that, oh, that makes me so sad. That's why I love them so much. Oh my goodness. It is sad. And we've had it happen. And, and and it's uh, doubly sad when it it becomes so personal, especially for someone with a disability who relies on their service dog so completely for the quality of their everyday life. And now that animal is, is injured. Um, and that's just horrifying to witness. And then they need to be retired and they have to start the process of, of getting a new service dog sort of all over again. So yeah, it's, it's rough. So this is, this kind of latches onto that a little bit. I've always wondered this and I think a lot of people often do, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to pet a service dog. Is that correct? When they're working and, and I always wondered, how do you know when they're not working or are they always working? It's a good question and something that people ask a lot. Um, it is, you, you do not want to distract a service dog when they're working in any way. And I think a good rule of thumb is when they're out in public and you see them in their service dog vest and our dogs are, are their uniform, if you will, as a gentle leader and their needs vest, you, you, you have to assume that they're working and you don't want to distract them. If you happen to be chatting with someone who has a service dog, you can certainly ask if you can pat the dog. And there is a command called, and it's say hello, and that releases the dog from paying attention to their person and engaging with the person who's asking to pat the dog. But you have to also be prepared for someone to say, I'm really sorry, he's he's working right now, um, yeah. so it's not a good time. And, and try not to be you know insulted by that. Right. Um, we here at Needs Take, play, rest, and downtime of our dogs very seriously. And our working dogs probably have a better balanced lifestyle than we do at this point in time. (laughs) Um, We really do, uh, when our clients are with us for the two weeks of training and they live with us here on campus, we have a a class on uh, playtime for the dogs, downtime, rest, and why that that is so essential to um, to their mental health. And probably a, a lesson we should all take, right? Oh, absolutely. What happens when the service dogs can no longer work and how do you decide when they when it's time for them to retire? Is it when they hit a certain age or perhaps when maybe you notice they, they can't keep up with the physical part of it? How do you decide when it's time for them to retire? Sure, it's, a, it's actually, it's a collaboration between needs and the client who um, has the dog and you hit the nail on the head, it's pretty much when you notice that they can no longer keep up with the physical part of being a service dog. And so the age varies, it's usually around nine or 10, Um, it varies with the dog. We are very careful to educate our clients on the necessity of not allowing the dogs to become overweight because an overweight dog severely limits um, their uh, lifespan as well as their, their actual lifespan as well as their working lifespan and so a lot of clients will notice that their dog is beginning to slow down a little bit they'll start the application for a a process for a new service dog while they're still working with their old service dog and most of our clients i think it's safe to say do keep their dogs once they are retired and if they're unable to the dogs come back to needs and we place them in a loving home you have some exciting news coming up this year. You're planning, you mentioned it earlier, to open a new breeding center. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how people can support the fundraising? That um, Puppies really are the heart, foundation, and empowerment of our mission. And without them, 
we can't serve our clients. So a needs-driven breeding program for purpose-bred dogs, that's dogs who um, are thought of from before they're even born um, of being a service dog. So a, this program is critical to the future stability and the growth of our organization. And the cornerstone of our, our new breeding program will be a new state-of-the-art breeding center, which is designed to give our purpose-bred puppies the best start they can have on the path to becoming service dog and to work with people with disabilities. So the housing, the breeding, the whelping, and the early life care of our future needs dogs um, will be this breeding center, which will provide a calm and quiet space where the moms can focus on eating, sleeping, and nursing the litters so that they can uh, th thrive. Uh, it's a $2.6 million project. Wow. And I'm, yeah, I'm really happy to say that um, we've purchased land about a quarter of a mile from our 16-acre um, campus here in Princeton, Massachusetts. And we're well over halfway to reaching our $2.6 million goal, but we're not there. And we would love it if people would go to breedingcenter.needs.org and make a donation, any amount that they possibly can. Of course, we have, um, you know, naming rights and um, some more um, high-end sort of donation opportunities, but they are not what we're locked into. We would love any amount to uh, be donated to us through breedingcenter.needs.org. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll put a link up for that uh, as well. So people can just one click right on our website, right on magic1067.com and they'll be able to access that and donate. That's, an, that's incredible. Can you, can you breed with rescue dogs as well or no? Is that separate? Well, you know, we, we do sort of have our roots in using rescue dogs. Um, we started in 1976 and that's all we used was rescue dogs. But we became very much aware as we you know, went along in the decades that really only about 20% of the rescue dogs that, we, that started training actually graduated, meaning, in other words, they were matched with a client. Whereas a purpose-bred dog, meaning dogs who we look at, at their genetics, we make sure that they have a good service dog background, that they've proven themselves in temperament and in health, we work with other ADI certified organizations across the country to make sure that we have a, a very diverse genetic pool. We spend a lot of time thinking about um, what these puppies are going to be like when they're born. So you don't really understand the background or the genetics of a shelter dog. And that's not to say we don't or we won't ever use them, but we found that only one out of every five shelter dogs that start the program finish the program, whereas one out of every two purpose-bred dogs that start the program um, finish the program. And since our, our mission is to match as many highly trained, beautifully socialized, even temperament dogs with people who need them, um, Purpose breeding is really the way for us to go, and we do it um, with a lot of conscience and a lot of care, and we're very proud of, um, of that. You also have um, a really cool retail shop where people can buy treats 
And that also kind of helps in your fundraising efforts as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that, about the retail shop? We, we love our retail shop. Um, you can, we have a bricks and mortar retail shop here on the Needs campus and we can, you can also order online from shop.needs.org and we carry anything from the black dog treats to rough wear toys and leashes and our most popular items are of course the Needs branded t-shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and various other fun items. So again, check out our shop at shop.needs.org. I think you'll find some cool stuff. You do an amazing job, both of you, Kathy and Katie. I, I appreciate your time this morning so much. I think this organization is so fantastic. You guys have been around doing this for a long time and I, I love any chance I can get to share the message and the work that you're doing to help so many families and people that, that are struggling out there. I mean, the service dogs that you train and that you work with do such an incredible job. I absolutely love it. It's been such a pleasure to have you guys on the show this morning. And again, the website needs.org, N-E-A-D-S.org. For more info, we'll put a link up on our website as well. I wish you so much success with your new breeding center and I'd love to have you back and let us know how everything is going. Once everything gets back to normal, hopefully we can have you both back in studio when we can actually see people again and have that social interaction will be wonderful. Thank you both so much and continued success with all the work that you're doing. Kendra, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We love talking about our organization. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to Kathy Zemitis and Katie Ostroff for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. We talk with celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in talking with your neighbors, coworkers, and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Go to magic1067.com and email us if you know someone you'd like to recommend to be featured on our show. And you can follow us on Instagram at sue.tab and at Kendra the Entertainer. We love hearing from you and be sure to join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women.